0: All right, welcome back to another Luke Humphrey running podcast. This is Luke Humphrey, and we are going to do part seven of our first marathon series today. So, we're going to talk about the race itself. So, we've talked about pretty much everything else to this point, um, and now it's time to get you through the actual race. So, it's finally here, it's race day, and much like the taper, you know, now should really be a time where you feel rewarded. Right. So this is the reason why you did all that hard work for weeks and months. And so now it's time to cash the checks, as we say. So. um, But the thing is, a lot of times people put a lot of pressure on themselves and um, which is fair, you know, and I think I actually don't mind that, because if you if you're worried about if you're worried about the race and you are Putting pressure on yourself, then to me it no to me it shows that you're respecting the distance, right? That you are, you're a little bit of fear can can go a long ways with uh, with uh, how well you perform. The problem becomes when you get so anxious that you just kind of put yourself in a state of uh, inability to recover from it, and you can't, and it just really affects performance overall. So. Um, I want to talk about some things today, where you can kind of ease that pressure off of yourself, and you know take advantage of, of of the situation and really be able to be in a position where you are maybe a little fearful, but you're not so anxious that you talk yourself out of doing a good job. So, um, so I put together my top top things that people should really consider um, during the race and, and how to approach those. So the first one, and you get this all the time, you get this with, with people who've run marathons before too, but, um, the idea of following a pace group, you know, you go sign up, you can, you can pick a time and, you know, ideally you have a bunch of people to run with, which will, which will help you, um, succeed in, in reaching your goal time and and to be honest with you I'm always on the fence about pace groups and you have to be careful because you know people listening to this might be part of pace groups. They might have paced a lot of people. And you know, I think for the most part pace groups are, are a great thing. Um, and you have to always be gracious because you you have, you know, one or more people that are willing to, you know, run at a certain pace So that you don't have to think about it and pull you through the entire 26.2 miles, you know. Um, So that's a very gracious thing for somebody to offer to do. Um, But like with anything, all pacers are not created equal. And I've seen a lot of times where um, a pacer will try to put time in the bank and it really just doesn't work out. It's easy for them because, say, let's say you have a person that is volunteering to run a four-hour pace group, which means they've probably run significantly faster than four hours, and so they can go out a little bit faster because it's not it's not overextending themselves from a pace-wise early on. And they might say, "Well, we're you know we're don't worry about it. We're putting time in the bank." Well, they they will fade back to four hours, and it won't affect them very much. But you going out too fast is already pushing you beyond what you're capable of doing. And you didn't even know if you were going to be able to run that four hours to to begin with. So if you go out at 345 pace and you're doing that for the first six, eight miles, that's a lot more stressful on you than it is the person that's doing the pacing. So they, they can wiggle, they have the wiggle room to go back and forth where you probably don't have that luxury. And so Putting time in the bank early on is no big deal for them, but for you, it it might be a big deal. And so then that's when you see a lot of people start falling off the last, you know, six to 10 miles of of the marathon when people do that. So, um, or you'll see, the other problem I see too is since it is, so again, using the four-hour example, if a person's run four hour, run three, three and a half hours for the marathon and they're pacing for the four hours, they might not have the rhythm for the four hours because that might be slow- slow enough to them where they have to kind of really think about what they're doing. They can't just run a natural pace. And so they're always kind of bouncing back and forth between, you know, maybe 10, 15 seconds fast and then they come back in there 10, 15 seconds slow. And so the average is there, but you're kind of yo-yoing back and forth all over the place. So um, so I think you have to be careful that now with that being said, if you have enough faith in your ability, which I think in the age of having a GPS and, and all this other technology that, you know, if you take your watch and say you want to run, you know, eight minute miles and you set your watch to give you, you know, 750 to 810 range, something like that, and you're staying in that range and yet the group is going way in front of you, you don't have to worry about it. No, you know, because you have the you have one we've trained to teach you how to learn to learn what pace feels like until you have the technology backing that up for you so you can you can trust yourself. And say, okay, they're too fast. I can back off. But later on, when they're starting to come back, you're still feeling pretty good. And those people that you know, air quotes, time in the bank, are fading back, and they're taking all those deposits out of what they what they uh, or all those withdrawals out of what they deposited in. You're able to catch them and blow by them. You know, and, the, and you're you can actually use them as kind of the carrot, you know, in front of you, where you can you can try to chase those guys down. In the last six to ten miles where they're fading but you you might be feeling like you're hurting a little bit but having that motivation and being able to actually maintain pace and be catching people is a lot more of a positive experience than fading back and watching people go by you you know so that's so that's where it can still be at the end of the day it's still a good situation for you you just have to trust how you're feeling and what your data is telling you with your watch and everything like that. So if they're if they if you know you're running the pace you should be, and they're way in front of you, don't worry about it because you know they're going to be coming back. Especially the pacers' job is to run that pace, so they're going to have to come back at some point, or they've really or they've really screwed up a lot of people's races, and that's not going to look good for them. That's probably the last time that they'll be pacing. So um, so keep that in mind as you as you're um, thinking about signing up for pace groups. And I guess the other thing to go with that would be, you know, if you're in between pace groups, say there's a a 350 group and a four-hour group and you want to run, you know, under four hours, like 355 or something, do you go out with that 350 group? No, I don't think you go out with that 350 group. I think you start with a four-hour group to force yourself to go out conservative and then gradually pick it up across across the rest of the race, but uh, I, I think that uh, you always want to put yourself in a position where you're going to be a little bit more conservative at the start, because the thing about 26 miles is if you're 10 or 15 seconds slow the first few miles, you still have 23 miles to make that up, and that's only, you know, a few seconds a mile at that point. That's not something where you all of a sudden have to panic and be running 20 seconds a mile faster to make up for being, you know, 10, 15 seconds slow over the first couple of miles. You have a long ways to make that up, and the longer you have the less that you have to make up per mile and that puts you in a much a much better position. All right, so another question I get is if they should warm up or not. And ultimately you don't want to start any race, you know, cold, you know, but you want to be you have to be conservative with your fuel stores too. So, um, you don't want to waste 4 or 500 calories on a warm up where you're going to be in a race where it's going to be hard enough to maintain the calories that you need anyway. So you have to really be really have to balance it so in in Hanson's first marathon stepping up 26.2 the Hanson's way I go into really specific ideas with this um based on time goals and things like that but the the basic idea is the faster you are the more thought you want to put up and put into a warm-up so in general I would say that you'd want at least some sort of dynamic warm-up you know the leg swings and things like that that we've talked about a number of times um, leg swings, body weight squats, lunges, arm swings, arm circles, things like that. Rotational exercises, just to get loosened up, get your range of motion going, and you're not, and you're, and you're raising your heart rate a little bit. So you're, you know, the whole idea of a warm up is to go, is to bridge from being, you know, you're you're thinking about going zero to sixty, right? Well, we want to bridge that gap. We want to make it more like going from. Zero to sixty to going from thirty to sixty, right? So we're not trying we're not trying to bridge that whole gap at the at the start of the race. We're trying to do a warm up where we're elevated, we're ready to run a little bit, so that we don't have that initial shock of all of a sudden just going into running. And why I said you know it depends on how fast you are is because if you're if you're a competitive runner and you're running you know three hours two forty five two thirty faster. Your intensity level is going to be really high, so it's it's almost like you know you you're 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 getting ready to race, right? So you have to be in a position where you can run pretty hard from the start. Whereas if you're running four or five hours, you know there's not a big difference between your easy pace and your marathon pace. You know a lot of you probably run your easy pace faster than your marathon pace. You know, so um, so you have to keep that in mind. We're not trying to that 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 bridge that we're trying to gap. Doesn't have to be as big, right? So that's that's why there's such a range in how much you should warm up. Um, if you're really looking to compete, I would recommend more than doing the body weight squats, like something like ten minutes of jogging, dynamic warm up, stride. And the thing is, too, the practicality of what you're doing, what you're where you're at, and what race you're at, and things like that is really going to dictate what you have the opportunity to do, too. Um, you know, those waiting around in a corral. I, I think of Chicago all the time, like just or even New York where it's like you know we walk is in the elite field we're in a tent on the other side of the start line we walk back to the starting line and you see two layers of levels of bridge just filled with people and you're thinking how long does it take for those people to get across the starting line so if you're doing a warm-up and then it's going to be 20 minutes before you even cross the starting line then you know you know, you have to weigh where where you're actually doing. So your warm up might actually be just the walk from your corral up to the starting line, and that's that really might be all you have the opportunity to do. Now if if you know that's true and you're waiting in the corral, and you kind of know as you're moving up, like you can do the body weight squats, the lunges, and those things as you're moving up, and then the last little bit is just your walk into the starting line, and then it's really as as most of you know who are in those corrals you know, it's, it's a couple miles of fighting through people anyway. So you're not, you're probably going to start out a little bit slower. So in, in reality, that first mile or two might actually be your up. So with, so with that said, you know, your first two miles, if you're 30 seconds mile slow, don't panic as that's, that's, you're even, like I said before, if you're a minute slow at two miles in, you still have 24 miles to make that up. And that's, that's, that's more than doable. You don't want to be now you don't want to be in a position where you're at twenty miles and you got two mile two minutes to make up. That's a lot trickier situation to ask for, but if you're a little bit slow on the first few miles, you're gonna that's not a bad position. I'd rather see you be a minute slow than a couple minutes fast early on because um, that's where putting the time in the bank is really gonna be gonna be detrimental. And I would say this too, I didn't really write this in my original notes, but I think. Uh, you know, when you when you think about that, and people are talking about uh, putting time in the bank, it's just don't let anybody tell you to put time in the bank. Um, and I'll tell you this from my experience: my first marathon. Um, you know, I was, I was naive, and I thought, you know, I, I got to I got to like 16, 18 miles, and I'm like, I got this in the bag. Started picking it up, and my original goal was around like 5:20 pace. Then all of a sudden, I'm running 5:10s, 5. Tens, five you know, 505s for the next three or four miles, and then I get to 23, and it's like, oh, this is what they're talking about, and you literally, yeah, so I put 45 seconds in the bank those those um, three or four miles, but I lost all of it plus two minutes, you know, in the last three miles, so like literally with 5k to go, I'm on, you know, two hours and, you know, 15, 16 minute pace, and here I am with three miles to go, and I lost... I lost two and a half minutes those those last five K and ended up running two eighteen, you know, forty-nine or something like that. So you might make up you might put seconds in the bank, but I guarantee you if it's over your head a little bit, you're going to lose minutes per mile, the last, you know, five K, ten K, maybe even a little bit more. Some people might be the last eight miles that they're losing minutes per mile. And then all of a sudden you saw a major time goal that you were gonna be able to hit, just you know, go by the wayside. And so you really don't wanna put yourself in that position. Uh, so th- the next thing I have is is having a fuel plan and executing that fuel plan. I think this is crucial. Um, you know, if you, the earlier you learn this in a marathon career, you're going to be so far ahead of the curve because I see so many people um, really kind of put nutrition on the back burner, uh, especially on race day and it costs them dearly. Um, you know, so at this point, and the thing is we've talked about training how you need to be practicing with it. And and it's not so that you're in part of it so that your workouts go better, but most of it is for this day, right? So that you know how to take in gels, you know how to take in calories, you know how to drink fluids while running marathon pace or or when your stomach doesn't feel the greatest and knowing that you can still take it in and it's going to be okay, right? So that's the big reason why we're doing a lot of this. It's not necessarily to for the workout itself but it's for the practice what you're going to do on race day because if you're comfortable with it in training you're going to be a lot more comfortable with it on race day and then if you're more comfortable with it you're more likely to stick with the plan and again I mean you're talking about if you skip this stuff early on just to make up a few seconds in a mile you're going to pay for it by losing minutes per mile and you compliment you you know poor nutrition during the race with going out too fast. And that's a recipe for disaster. You're, it's going to be, be honest with you, it's going to be a pretty miserable experience and you don't want that. So you've, you've got to be familiar with what you're going to use, you know, and if you're just going to rely on what the race is going to provide, you have to be practicing with what the race is going to be providing. You know, you might have all these great ambassador deals with, with whoever, but if that's not what you're going to use on race day, you need to practice with what you're going to use on race day. Um you know when I for and, 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 to, and for the race's standpoint races have come a long way you know I started I started marathons in 2004 so we're talking roughly 15 years ago and you know the, since then you know we've seen you know record numbers of participants in marathons um which is great and I think races have learned along the way where, you know, whenever I ran a race early on in my career, it was always like, there was a gel station between 18 and 20 miles. And that was it. Uh, you know, you'd have your fluid stations and stuff like that, but no, no gel stations. And now you're seeing more and more gel stations earlier on in races. And so I think that's a great thing. The earlier, the better you're taking those calories. in. because think about how you know, if when you're racing, it's going to feel pretty easy early on, ideally, um, and so you're going to be a lot more likely to want to take calories in. So you, another reason to start early is because it's going to feel easier to do it. You know, and then you get to like, you know, 18, 20 miles, you might not feel like taking those calories, and you might be thinking, oh my gosh, just get me through, get me through. But if you still take in just a little bit later on, even if it's not as much, one, you've got the, you've got the calories that you've been able to use from early on those are gonna help and push you forward. But then there's the thing of carbo-rinsing and things like that, where even just kind of the taste of carbohydrate late in a race can kind of trick your brain to saying that it's gotten carbohydrates and then you can get a little more mental clarity, you can maintain pace a little bit longer, things like that. So earlier the better, so that if you do falter later on, it might not be as detrimental. So really focus on early nutrition, stick to that schedule early on, you know, so like if you've listened to anything I've written, or anything I've talked about, or read anything I've written, you know, I really advocate like 15 minutes before the race, and then within the next 30 minutes of the start of the race, and then every 30 to 45 minutes, I really, really believe that. And that might mean taking four, five, six gels, but it is going to be it is going to be worth it for you. Um, Because one thing is, you have more than enough fat stores to provide energy. But the, the complication with that is that most people have to slow down to use those fat stores. And the carbohydrate, if the carbohydrate isn't there, one, you're not going to be able to maintain a certain level of intensity. And two, your body's going to want to, it's going to affect your mind. Carbohydrate is a primary fuel source for brain and central nervous system function. And most of that's coming from the liver. So if you are don't have the carbohydrate and you're not providing the liver with the carbohydrate from taking in gels, which is going to be the first place it goes to, then you're gonna you're gonna get that mental fog. It's gonna be harder to think. It's gonna be harder to kind of dig down mentally and maintain that pace and force yourself to to a, maintaining an an effort that's going to you know be high and and hopefully maintain that pace for you. So you really have to make sure that you're taking in those carbohydrates. Um, all right. So that pretty much covers that. Uh, other than you know just reemphasize practice with what you're going to be using and at the intervals you're going to be using. All right. So lastly, I want to talk about the the strategy itself. And originally, uh, I was going to combine, uh, I was, I was going to do strategy. And another point I was going to make was that expect things to get really hard, but I think they kind of go hand in hand and they really should be talked about at the same time. So, um, I always like the idea of starting big when you talk about race strategy and then working small in a marathon. So otherwise if we think about the whole thing at once, we tend to scare the heck out of ourselves. And and what I mean by that is, is again, I'll use myself an exa- as an example. So <clears throat> if I look at a race, especially when I was going to go after a big PR and you're looking at the pace you have to run and you're just thinking, wow, there's there's literally no way I can run that for, 26.2 miles um, and it would it would scare you right And so it's very easy to talk yourself out of the, out of being able to handle that pace and so what i would do is i would start with as big a number as i possibly could and i'd work i'd work so i'd work back i'd work the 26.2 back to a distance i knew i could handle and so we we did the infamous simulator all the time it was always our marquee workout um and so that would be a good place to start. So I knew I could get up to 16 miles at that pace. So I would assume, you know, assuming my simulator went well, which usually did, um, I would say, okay, I, could, I know I can run 16 miles at that pace. No problem. And then I would analyze how I felt on that day. And, you know, I would always be like, okay, well, I could get to two to three more miles. Um, I could probably on that day that I ran the simulator, I could run two to three more miles. So that puts me at about 19 miles. Uh, and then you think about how much the taper is going to add on that. So I'm like, okay, I ran the simulator tired. You know, for me, I was usually in the middle of 120 to 150 mile a week. Pretty tired at that kind of mileage. And you guys are pretty tired at the mileage you guys are running. Um, and so I think, okay, I go into this. I'm now I'm rested. Um, I'm racing. I'm going to have the adrenaline from the race. I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to feel, you know, it's going to be, Mentally, you know, a little bit easier to go a little bit further. So now I can add another two to three miles on top of that, and so I would say I probably could get to twenty-three to anywhere from twenty-three to twenty-four miles, right? And then I couldn't really account for the last two miles. So then it was then I knew that's where being having the grit, nutrition, um, and just being plain old mentally tough was going to get me through. And how bad. Did I want to succeed at my goal? That was going to be where that really came into play would be that last two miles to 5K of the race. And so that leads me to the last part of that is it's it's going to get tough, expect it to get tough and accept that it's going to be really, really hard. Those last few miles are going to take a lot of mental fortitude. And I stole that from my, my college track coach, Jim Knapp. Uh, if, you, if you know what is going to happen, though, and you know it's going to happen to everybody, then it makes it a lot easier to deal with. And you know you've talked, you've heard people say, "embrace the suck" or, "accept the pain." It, it ultimately you really do. You have if the more you fight it, the more it's going to kind of punch you back in the face. But if you just kind of accept that it's going to be there, and so when it does happen, you're like, "Okay, I was ready for you. I knew you were gonna. I knew you were coming. You know, I knew you were gonna show your face." And I'm, I'm ready for you. And so then you can really kind of um, – you can really deal with it a little bit better. You can still kind of relax and not fight it. Because when you fight it, you get tense, and that only makes things worse. So if you can accept it and just kind of breathe it out and just kind of relax and still kind of keep your, your shoulders and your stride relaxed a little bit, you can deal with things a lot better. And you might slow down a little bit, but you're not going to slow down the minutes per mile. You know, you're still going to like – you're still going to be in a position where you can fight mentally, because that's where a lot of it too is. That at that point, if you've done well with your nutrition, you, you were you were good with your pacing. You didn't overextend yourself by going out too fast. Mentally, you're going to be a little bit clearer, and being a little bit clearer mentally is going to allow you to buckle down and and really grind it out and and still fight. You know, really put yourself in a position where you can fight you're going to, you know, this might be in a position where you say, I see the next stoplight. That's all you focus on. Get to that next stoplight. It might be that pace group that you've been chasing down. You can, might be able to see that little sign poking up in a bunch of runners. That's your motivation. But mentally, you're going to be in a position where you can, you can, put, you can put your laser focus on that and just say, okay, I'm catching those guys. I'm catching those guys. And let the body, the body will follow the mind at that point. You know, you can really kind of grind it out and, and be in a position to fight. Otherwise, if you're not, if you're not in that position, you're just, you are mentally, I wouldn't say you give up. You, you, it's not a conscious effort, but it's definitely a subconscious thing where you just kind of back it off. You allow yourself mentally to back it off. You're like, okay, I'll wait. I, I just can't do it. And then you, that's when sometimes you see the people who really kick it in. Cause then all of a sudden they see the finish line. They're like, Oh, I can go now. And then they, they, they let it rip the last quarter mile or whatever. Where you being in a position, you're going to be able to maintain that effort and really maybe buckle down, and then when you see the finish line, maybe you pick it up and find another gear still, um, and and really reach your goal there. So um, I think you have the big thing is you can't be too aggressive early on. You have to be on with your nutrition and then break it down. So when I earlier when I was talking about that first 16 miles, how I would really approach that 16 miles would be like finding a group that was within really close to my pace range, right? So if I was looking to run, you're just using myself as an example, so if I was looking to run 5.10s, ideally there would be a, a group of, you know, a few people that were running that pace and you could tuck in, you could kind of just zone out because it's really, really hard to put that much concentration into that big amount of time. I, could, I couldn't I could do it for two hours, so I can't imagine somebody being able to do it for three hours, four hours, five hours. So you want to delay the amount of time that you really have to buckle down mentally. Because if you buckle down mentally too early, then you get fatigued that way too, and then you just you just can't concentrate, right? So all those metabolic and physiological, and just the fact that you're at 23 miles, you're just like, oh, I can't do this anymore. But if you've been in a position where that you've been able to put it off for a big chunk of the time, and you've just been able to kind of zone out, then when it is time to focus, you're in a much better position to be able to kind of flip that switch And buckle down and buckle down, chase those people down, chase those times down, be able to look at your watches and be like, okay, here we go. I can do this now. And that's such a great feeling. Like, even though it hurts and don't, don't get me wrong, it's still going to hurt, but you're going to be able to deal with it a lot better. Um, And that's just, that's one of the, honestly, guys, that's one of the greatest feelings I've had or had in races. Like knew it, it felt tough, but I like my body hurt, but I felt tougher, if that makes sense. Like physically, I felt hurt. But mentally, I was like, okay, we're doing this. We're going to work. I see those guys there. I'm chasing them down. And I can think of like Chicago Marathon would be a perfect example because, you know, thinking about it, I'm running running with 40,000 people, but at the elite level, late in the race, a lot of times you just find yourself alone. And it's really kind of eerie. And there would be literally times where I didn't see a group of people in front of me for miles. And then all of a sudden you make that left-hand turn onto Michigan Avenue. And it's like, there's a group of people. All of a sudden I can see a group of people. You don't, you can't tell, like that just automatically just perked me up. And it's like, okay. And, Cause at that point you have about two miles to go to the race and that you guys don't know. I've run that, I've run Chicago so many times. It's not even funny. That would pick me up every time. Like it would just be like, okay, here we go. Now we can start chasing people down and it would save, and I would be hurting. Like up until that point, I'd be like, oh my God, I don't want to do this anymore. This hurts so bad. You turn that corner, see those people, it's like, boom, automatically a, a switch just would go off. And all of a sudden you go back into the competitive mode and you're able to just, you're able to do it, you know? And, but if you, if you've handled a lot of things wrong with nutrition and pace, you just can't get into that mental, you just, you just mentally and physically can't get back into that mindset and it makes it really, really tough. So, so just keep that in mind, know that it's going to hurt, break it down and don't, and the other thing I'd say too, is when you get to that point, if you get to that 22, 23 mile mark. Don't think of it as I still have three miles to go. Think of it as I've all right, guys. I've done twenty-three miles of this. I'm boom. I'm I'm on it. I can do it. You know, if you you always have to look at it is what I've done, not what I still have to go. If you think about it in that term, and it can really hit. It can hit you weird times too. Like you might hit you at sixteen miles. Like oh my god, I still have ten miles to go. Ah, think about okay. I've already got sixteen miles in. I've already got 16 miles in. Boom, boom, boom. Don't always think about what you've done now, how far you have left to go, and that'll help out a ton. Okay, so a lot of negative in that last I know, but I think it's really key for you to ex- ex- know that it's going to be hard. And I think I think people go into it and they know it's going to be hard, but so many times, like I saw a post on the Facebook group like, oh, this plan doesn't mentally prepare you for, Um, your first marathon like it's one of those things where I don't think you can prepare mentally for it I think it's one of those things where you actually just have to do it to know what it's going to feel like because you can run a 5k and it hurts like heck right your quads hurt your chest burning it hurts right but you can pinpoint it because you're running really hard but you get to the marathon and you get to the point where it's just like mentally you can get foggy and just things don't feel right, and you can't think clearly. And it's one of those things where you can't explain it. You have to just go through it. Um, and all I can do is tell you that it's going to happen, and to know know that at some point, probably between 18 and 22, 23 miles, it's probably going to happen. But I can tell you that it's going to be normal, and you can fight through it. You know, and that's that's where I think it's key to know. And if you can, if you know that, and you take that to heart. I think your odds for success that last, because you guys don't know how many times I've seen races go great until 23 miles and then just fall apart. Uh, And so I think you really have to, the more you're aware that it's going to get really hard at some point and you're going to want to maybe cry, you're going to maybe want to stop, but you can do it. I think knowing that is so key because I guarantee you guys, once you cross that finish line, that sense of accomplishment is going to be so amazing and it's going to be so overwhelming for a lot of you it's going to it's going to be an incredible feeling right like it's you know think about it like six months before that day you might have thought man there is no way that i'm going to be able to do this and to go from that feeling to of being like there's no way i can do this to having done it is going to be so unbelievably gratifying for yourself and and that nobody can take that away you're a marathoner at that point and that's something that nobody can take away from you. So I know that was a little bit negative there, but the flip side is when you finish and you and you gutted it out and you raced and you pushed yourself to the absolute maximum that you could. That's so worth it, right? It's so worth it to just know that you put that work in and you did it. To me, that's amazing, and I get that feeling too. Even you know, 15 years later, it's like I did it. You know, and not a lot of people do it. And then. You probably hate me for a week or two, and you will say you're never gonna do it again, and then you sign up for another one. So, uh, and and that's you. You know, I guys know how many people I've coached where they're like, "I'm just gonna do this once. It's my bucket list thing," and that was 15 marathons ago for them. So, um, so I always like to laugh when people tell me they're just gonna run one. The the bug will bite you, and then you'll be like, and then you'll forget the pain, and then you and then (laughs) and then you'll start training again. So, um, but. That's race strategy, guys. I, I hope you guys got some information. I've, I've actually got some really good feedback from people who've run marathons. They said this was really good to go back to, which is which is great. So um, I, I thank you for that feedback. Um, if you've liked this podcast, please, uh, if you haven't already bought uh, bought it, uh, go you know take a look at uh, Hanson's first marathon, stepping up to twenty six point two, the Hanson's away. Um, obviously, you can buy you can purchase from me if you want uh, at loucomfreyrunning uh, and obviously you can get it at great prices online um, amazon barnes and nobles velopress.com all those all those places will have it and uh, i appreciate it and uh, always check out more podcasts and stuff luccomfortherning.com subscribe to this podcast Leave me reviews, guys. Leave me, leave me some five stars and stuff too because people have been asking for our app that we had up a few years ago, but nobody ever ranked it and it kind of got some negative feedback and they're like, where did it go? It's like, well, nobody left any reviews. review. So I have to uh, tell you to smash that like button. You know, as they say, it was my kids watching the YouTube stuff. like, smash that like button. So smash that like button. Um, but in any case, I hope this helps you get you through your first marathoner. I hope this turns you into a marathoner. I hope this is a baseline for you and we can teach you how to Train and become the best runner that you possibly can, and ultimately that's our goal with all this stuff: is to 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 lay the foundation, to teach you how you can train, get faster, expect more out of yourself, and maximize maximize your ability, whatever whatever goals you might have. So, um, as always, I appreciate you guys listening, and uh, we'll start something else next time. Yeah, leave me ideas too have no problem with leaving, leaving me ideas. Um, you can fill out a contact form on our website, Luke And, uh, yeah, always looking for ideas. So thanks for listening guys. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye.